I am so passionate to talk about at church. I'm passionate about talking about a lot of things. Star Trek, the beach, marriage, kids, the whole nine yards, but nothing takes the cake other than what I am about to talk to you about today. It is the reason that I have chosen the life that I have. It's the reason that I've come here. It's the reason that you and I live the life that we do. It's, it's amazing. It's the core of our belief. And yet I think sometimes we forget how powerful this is. A number of years ago, I was an intern in 2011. I was learning how to become a pastor. And uh, at the time where I was in interning, the church was looking for a youth pastor. It was a considerable-sized youth group, about 300 kids, and so they were looking for an experienced youth pastor, someone who had eight-plus years of youth ministry experience behind their belt. So the resumes went out, and they hired people, and they had interviews, uh, and they had a two-step interview process. The first step interview process was to... Uh, was a skill-based one. Can you do the job we're asking you to do? If you pass that, then you went on to the theological-based interview. What are you going to teach our children? And so you would sit in front of the pastor, and he would grill you for an hour on your theology. When it came time for for the candidates to go to their theological interview, the pastor would sit in front of them and ask them one question, and it would be this. You have one minute to explain what the gospel is to me. Go. And so all manner of answers were given. Well, Jesus, he's the king. It's about his kingdom coming. Well, Jesus, it's about walking with Jesus. It's about grace and compassion and mercy. It's about the oppressed being free. It's about all these things. And they would on and on and on and on. The pastor would give them a minute and and then he would let them finish and he would say, I'm so glad that you mentioned that the gospel of all those things. I'm kind of curious though, how come you never mentioned Jesus dying on the cross for our sins? The youth pastor would stay, think a minute and say, well, I just didn't think about it. And I would sit there and I would think, that's awful because these are paid youth ministers these are professionals. These are the experts in the field. And the most, and they were experienced too. We're not talking about college students straight out of college. We're talking about 30-year-olds and 35-year-olds and even 50-year-olds who had spent their lifetime in church being paid to share the gospel. And they forgot about Jesus dying on the cross. Friends, I made a vow that day that no matter what kind of Uh, place I would serve in ministry, whether I was a janitor, whether I was a youth worker, whether I was paid to be a pastor, I would make sure that my church knew the core value of the Christian faith. And so here's what I would like you to do today. I am going to read to you with the core thing that makes manner manner. So I would actually like you to read with me uh, the text on the screen on the count of three. One, two, three. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is the reading of God's word. 
If you're new to Christianity or church and you're wondering what exactly it is that we believe here in Manor, why we're here, this sentence captures the very core of what we're about. As a whole church, we hold to a whole core of different beliefs about money, about finances, about children. But the central belief, the core thing that every other belief stands out for is the belief that we as a church believe that Jesus was a real person and that he historically lived and he died for our sins and three days later he rose from the dead. That's the gospel. And that is as simple as I can make it on the most basic level. Our church is a group of people that meet together regularly so that we can learn what it would mean to experience this Jesus. Simply stated at Manor, we're all about Jesus. And we want people to experience Jesus on the individual level. We want people to experience Jesus on a fellowship level inside the community. And we want Jesus, we want people to experience Jesus by sharing your faith. Everything that we do, everything that we're about, everything about how we see the world and how we choose to make the decisions that we do is based upon this belief that a guy 2,000 years ago claimed to be God, came down to earth as a human being, lived and died and rose again for our sins. No other person in history has created as much controversy as Jesus Christ. Almost every religion on the face of the planet has an opinion about him, who he was. Most people believe he was centered, that that centered on spirituality. Some people say that he was a good teacher. Other people say he was an angel. Some believe he was some sort of new age guru. Others believed he was a raging madman. But here we believe that Jesus was and is a real person who walked on this fa the face of the earth approximately 2,000 years ago. He was not the product of someone's imagination. He lived and breathed on this planet. Jesus is the second member of the Trinity, and he was fully human and fully God. Jesus preexisted before there was life on earth. And he was physically born of a virgin. He ate, he slept, he taught, and he served those who created. All the fullness of God lived in Jesus Christ. Jesus was well known among the people for his teachings and his miracles. Many people considered him accredited by God. The core thing about Jesus is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this, that's why this last week was so important. On Good Friday... A couple days ago, we came together as a town and we remembered that he was betrayed by Judas, one of the 12 disciples, then the other 11 disciples, after promising never to leave Jesus, fled after his arrest. Jesus was mocked, beaten, tried before Pilate and Herod. He was then put to death by crucifixion between two thieves. At the moment of Jesus' death, the curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place was torn in two, symbolizing the fact that it is now possible for people to go directly to God in the presence of God. The earth shook, and also many righteous people were raised from the dead in Matthew's Gospel. This is what we came to remember as Good Friday. And now, we saw, now we're here at Easter. 
Just as Jesus foretold, three days later, he rose from the grave and he appeared first to the women who came to give him a proper burial, then to the disciples. Afraid that Jesus' resurrection would cause a greater stir among the people than Jesus' ministry, the authorities paid off the guards to lie and say that someone came and stole Jesus' body. Jesus stayed on earth for a period of 40 days, and it, and it was during this period that, he, that, he, that those who were raised from the dead at Jesus' death went and testified about Jesus. And that's what makes today a special Sunday. Today is the day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But as we're here today, I, I want to take our, the time that we have left, and I want to ask the question, I think it's really important that we answer this question, is why is the resurrection of Jesus so important? Why does it so matter that Jesus rose from the dead? If you think about it, there are a few controversial things Jesus said and did, but I want to think that one of the most controversial ones is the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. On the account after Jesus' ascension, the disciples went and they started telling people that Jesus rose from the dead. And on one occasion, Jesus was brought before a trial uh, of, of Jews called the Sanhedrin. And in the Sanhedrin, there were two distinct group of Jews. One believed in the resurrection of the dead, one didn't. And so he goes in front of them and says, all I am guilty of is believing that a dead man can rise from the dead. And it caused such a panic that a riot ensued inside the, the judge. You can find that story in the book of Acts. Let me tell you why Jesus' resurrection is so important. Jesus' resurrection is so important because it proves his death was enough to cover the cost of your sins. And because of that, you don't have to live your life with any, with any shame or guilt God's intention from the start of your life was that your life would live without, you would live without any sense of guilt or shame or bondage or addiction or defeat. God will let you, but it's not his will for you. And because it's not God's will for you, I know that things are possible for him. God's, the whole resurrection, the reason the resurrection is important is because it can prove that you do not have to live your life without shame. You, don't, you can live a shame-free life these days. Now, what is shame? Does anyone know what shame is? Shame is a feeling that you get when there is undealt with guilt in your life. Either the guilt caused by you or someone else. Each one of us carries great in deep shame because of the guilt that other because of the guilt we feel because of what others have done to us or what others we have done to others maybe you're a rescuer or an enabler and you feel shame for needing to cover uh, cover your kids to the point where they've never learned to take responsibility for themselves you feel ashamed of that or maybe you've terminated a pregnancy it feels so big that some of us can't even say the word alone without feeling the stigma that it brings, and yet it gets even bigger around Mother's Day. 
This, you must believe, must be hidden at all costs. And if this is you, you know what I mean. But all the while, you're waiting for the day to, where you too will found, be discovered. And then when someone mentions it or the pastor brings it up in a sermon, you feel that shame. You wear that shame on your sleeve. Maybe you were pregnant outside of marriage. Or maybe you failed at a job. Did you, you did or said something in the workplace that you shouldn't have. So you go to the next interview for a job and suddenly they ask you what happened at your old job and you see that big F for fired. It's so obvious you're sure that the one interviewing you can see it so clearly. Or maybe it's the shame of what other people have done to you. Maybe there's some sort of rejection. No one had time for us. Perhaps we did poorly in school or parents or, or divorce while we were young and we felt bad. Or you feel like no one wants you and everyone else knows it because I don't have a ring in my finger or no one will ever want me now. And to avoid the depth of pain, we find ways to give people reasons to reject us. The resurrection matters because it proves that you don't need to live in that guilt and shame anymore. And I'm going to prove it by reading to you a famous story that Jesus taught about. Would you turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. This is a story that Jesus told to talk about the forgiveness that we should bring other people. Uh, Jesus had been talking about our need to forgive others when Peter, one of his closest friends came and asked this. He said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. So you know, Peter does the math, right? And so that's 490 times, right? Wrong. 70 times seven is simply a Hebrew way of seeing as often as necessary. And everyone who heard Jesus would have understood that. Peter would have shocked and was just as shocked. And, he's got, and he went, "This you've got to be kidding me. And then Jesus told this parable, likely the most profound teaching on forgiveness in history. Jesus starts saying this, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, 10,000 talents in our economy, I'm just, I'm just spitballing here, but it would be the equivalent of owing $10 million. And $10 million without interest with a salary of $50,000 a year before taxes, without paying for a mortgage or food or clothes or anything, would take a person about... 200 years to pay off. And I'm, I'm just kind of bringing that so you can understand just how huge the debt is. But after tax, shelter, clothes, and food, it would have been closer to 300 years. So there is no way this man could pay off this debt. Going on, it says this. It says, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children, that all, that all he had and the payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Which, by the way, would not be true. 
There's no way in the world Bob could pay his debt. Even if he sold his family into slavery, he was hopelessly unable to be pay it back. Be patient with me. It'll only take two to three hundred years, but I'll pay you back. He was in serious denial. How do you run up a debt equivalent of $10 million? Especially in a culture that doesn't have a MasterCard. Well, let me help you out. You could write off about 100000 to bad investments, maybe up to a million, but basically somewhere along the line, this man deceived or abused the trust of the king. He took things for granted. He became undisciplined. He went ballistic on Amazon. He ordered everything he possibly could on his dad's credit card. I don't know how he did it, but he couldn't blame all of it on bad breaks. However he did, the reality is, is that he ran up in enormous debt. And here's what I want you and I to hear today. You and I carry a $10 million debt in our hearts that we can never repay back. Let me, I want you to close your eyes for a minute and just answer these questions in your heart. What kind of guilt are you carrying around this morning? What comes to your word, to your mind when I say the word regret? What is your greatest regret? What is your greatest failure? What is something that you are so ashamed about to speak, to speak about that you don't? Something you've done that nobody in the world knows about, that it remains in your closet, and it's something that you will take with you to your grave. How are you going to repay back all that failure? How do you run up that kind of debt? And how are you ever going to pay it back? You can open your eyes now. The short answer is you're not. You can't pay God back for those things. Here's where the story switches for you and I. Jesus is telling us the story to explain how God forgives us and how we are to forgive each other. It's a metaphor. But But here's where you and I need to understand that you and I don't owe God money We owe God for all the pain that our sins have caused. The price you pay isn't $10 million. It's your life. We owe God our life for all the pain and all the sorrow that we have caused. Listen to, let me me ask this practically, okay? Romans 6.23 says, The cost of your sin is death. Suppose for a minute that I hurt you deeply. I wounded you, and I hurt you, and let's suppose I betrayed you, and I talked behind you, behind you back. Paying you back would mean that I would have to go back and retrieve the words that I just spoke about that wounded you. That's how I would fix it. But that can't happen. Even if I could, the damage is already done. there is a price still to be, be persuaded, and that is something very important for us to understand in relation to how we hurt others. When you hurt somebody, when you mess up, when you make a failure, your automatic response is, how can I make this right? But you can't make it right even if you tried. 
Suppose you did something to damage your marriage relationship or something like that, and you're like, I'm sorry, how can I make this right? To make it right would mean that you would go back and make sure that it never happened in the first place. You can't do that. Suppose that someone stole your innocence. To make it right would mean that you would get your innocence back. You can't pay that debt. You can't make it right no matter how hard you try. No matter how good you are from the now, from the time that you die. There is nothing you can do to make it right and pay them back for all the hurt that you have caused. And my problem is this, is you and I don't know how to deal with that guilt. And so what you and I do is you and I bury our sins and we gloss it over and we medicate it with our drugs of choice, with withdrawing, with all, with all this kind of stuff. But what you and I need to understand is that we pay, we, when we sin against others and we sin against God, we pay for it with our lives. Because God's love compels him to be a just God, God must punish humanity for sin. He would not be a just God if he did. The punishment for our sin is both a physical death and an eternal death. Eternal punishment is where God will perfectly punish those for all the sin, for all eternity. This place is known as hell, a place of unquenchable suffering, fire, and relational separation from God. And you owe God an eternity in there for everything that you've done wrong. That's the bad news. You want to know what the good news is? The good news is this. Thanks, Daryl. <laughs> this is why the death and resurrection of Jesus is so important. Jesus' death is important because he died as a substitute for you. Jesus died as a satisfaction of the righteous wrath of God against the sin of the entire human race. So all the things that have ever been done to you and all the things that you have done, Jesus stepped in in your place and said, I'll take it all. And, he do, and on that cross, he bore the sin of the entire world. All the materialism, all the laziness, all the greed, all the jealousy, all the unspoken words that you said, all the bad thoughts that you have. Every single thing was poured out on him. He died in your place. That's why the death of Jesus is so important. We know that. So why does the resurrection matter? If the, if the, if the, if the, if the death is where the payment is paid, why does Jesus need to be raised at all? What is so important about him raising from the dead? And here's what I want to say, and this is the truth that I want to leave us with today. Jesus' resurrection proved that his death was enough, that it worked. Okay? Jesus' death is important because it proves his death was enough to cover the cost of your sins, and that's why you can live guilt-free. Listen to what 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 13 to 17 says. But if there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Jesus has been raised. And if Jesus has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain, which kind of means I'm out of a job. 
More than that, we have been found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. And listen to this. This is the good part. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Well, how is that good news? Why would you still be in your sins if Jesus didn't rise from the dead? Did you think about that? If Jesus paid it all on his death, and he never rose from the dead, why would you still be in your sins? Because, friends, the cost of your sin is death. And Jesus rising from the dead shows, if he didn't rise from the dead, it shows that he didn't fully pay the price. Jesus' resurrection shows that he conquered the grave, that he paid the price, and death has no power over him. The resurrection shows that death bows to Jesus and and death gives way to Jesus. He showed us, he died to show us his love on display for the, that he had victory over death. All men who believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus have deliverance from hell, sin, and death. Listen to what Romans chapter 9 or chapter 6, verses 9 and 7 says about this. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, he will never die again. Death has no longer have dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he gives, he gives to God. Amen. When you and I believe in Jesus Christ, our security has been regained Our guilt has been gone. The resurrection proves that his death was enough. And that you do not have to live by your sin and your guilt anymore. Friends, the resurrection proves that everything that Jesus says, you can take to the bank. And that is the most important thing I could ever say. As your pastor, that's what I want you to know. Whenever I leave here, whether I leave here in 50 years or 500 years or whatever, the thing that I would want people to say about me is I told you that you can have new life because, <coughs> because there is resurrection from the dead. And you do not have to live in your sin or your guilt or your shame anymore. And to show that, and to, and to show that I like to call my, my wife up this morning. And I'd like to show with you exactly from her story exactly how Jesus' resurrection gives you and I a new life. She's a little sly, so can everyone just kind of welcome her? uh, um. Hello. (laughs) My name's Elizabeth Renton, and I'm here today to share my testimony. I was born and grew up in Surrey, B.C. I did not grow up in a Christian home, but I grew up in a loving home. Also, when I was growing up, I went to Catholic church until I was eight, for my dad's side was Catholic, but I didn't understand who Jesus was until I was in high school. 
At the start of high school, before I knew who Jesus was, I started going to air cadets because some of my family and friends were in air cadets. I loved drill team competitions and air cadets. And in air cadets, I joined the pipe band because my mom's side is third Scottish, and I love everything to do with bagpipes, playing them, listening to them. When I was in air cadets, I had a pipe band instructor who taught me how to play the bagpipes, gave me private lessons, drove me to parades, Highland Games. He even got to know my family, had a connection there. He was like a second dad to me. I even joined his pipe band too. I, I would even hug and hold his hand sometimes like you would to a dad. On December 17, 2001, at my pipe band instructor's pipe band Christmas party, my pipe band instructor drove me home drunk when he, and he took advantage of me. My parents felt betrayed when they found out what happened, and I was shut off, and that's when I stopped playing the bagpipes. A year after that happened, I went to court to deal with my pipe band instructor. Six months before I went to court, I was in grade 11 or 12 at this point. I found a Christian club in my high school where my friends told me about Jesus, and I got connected there. I even invited my best friend, Rhiannon, to, a Christian, to the Christian club, who I've known since grade three, and we had been, been through everything together, and she has supported me. I did get connected at Panorama Church in BC, and got connected at the youth group, and my youth pastor came to court with me and supported and prayed for me. God using my youth pastor to help my family to come to God through my hard situation. In 2005, my mom got sick with pancreatic cancer, which was very hard for me. I felt like I lost myself. Dan and I started talking online at that time because Dan was in college at Prairie. Dan and I met in Surrey, BC in 2003 at the Christian Club. In 2005, when my mom was sick, Dan encouraged me to push through, pray, and listen to worship music, stick to God, so I did. Five months later, March 10th, 2005, my mom passed away. I was lost, broken, shattered, and my dad met some wrong people, and, and my dad got into drugs to deal with his pain. My dad got help in 2007 in rehab, and my sisters and I helped my dad get better. In 2009, Dan finished college, came to BC. I went to Freedom Session to deal with my pain. And in Freedom Session, I felt guilty and that it was my fault I was taken advantage of and that my mom passed away. God told me I was believing a lie, and God told me that my self-worth has to do with God and not my circumstances. Dan and I dated in 2010, and we got married in 2011. And Dan was called to youth ministry in Winnipeg for eight years. March 2016, God blessed us with our amazing son, James. In 2019, God called us to Manor Church as Dan is the lead pastor. Through all my hardship in my past and everything I've been through, I believe God uses every situation, the good, the bad, to build us up to his kingdom. God uses people in our life to come into our life for a reason. Let me leave you with this. God loves you. God forgives you. 
And we also need to receive his forgiveness for ourselves. Thank you. At the risk of not trying to trump my wife, I, I want you to catch the woundedness in that story. Even if that man felt remorseful for what he did, there is no way that he could actually give back Liz's innocence. There's no way that he could make Liz feel unashamed for that, all that kind of stuff. And that's why the cross is so important, friends. Because Jesus took every single thing that happened to you and everything that single thing that you did and he forgave it all on the cross. So that you do not have to wear the victim card anymore. That you do not have to be ashamed or embarrassed about your sin. Well, there is no more shame and guilt in Jesus. Friends, you can trust that the death of Jesus paid for your sin and gave you a new life because he raised from the dead, proving that death has no hold on him and that he paid the price for your sin. And what I want to leave you with this morning is this. I'm going to call the worship, uh, call Donna Louise up to lead us in one more song. You don't have to wait until Jesus comes back to receive the most marvelous gift of grace and eternal life today. So I'm going to ask that I do something. I don't normally do this. I'm, I'm going to ask that everyone here bow their eyes and, no, close their eyes and <laughs> bow their heads. And if you're here today and You've never had Jesus come into your life and you would like Jesus in your heart. And you were like, I would like to know this Savior. I would like to know him more. I'm just going to quietly ask you to raise your hand. Thank you. I see you. Thank you. I see you there. That's awesome, guys. If that's you, please pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I ask your forgiveness for my sins. I believe that you died for my sins and you, were ro- you rose again from the third day. I turn my sins over to you and invite you to come into my heart and my life. I want to trust you and follow you as Lord, leader, and Savior of my life. And the whole congregation said, that's you, I'm so glad that you've made a profession of faith in Jesus today. Let's stand and we'll close off with one more song.